Big Ten's back. Tell a friend. Guess who's back? Two guys, one mic is back. The Big Ten is back. Jacob Wilson is back. JT Hershowski is back. How's it going, man? I am ecstatic on top of the world. I feel like you do on a Saturday night when the party vibes are on. I mean, there's just no better feeling than what I have felt today. It is a great day. It is a great day for college football fans across the world. It's a great day for Big Ten fans. It is a big, big day for OSU football fans, which, of course, you and I are. Uh, Today, days don't get much better. And I know that's a big statement, but days do not get much better than, especially for a person like me who had just accepted the fact that it was over, didn't try to, like, get into any of the rumors or the potential beliefs that a season could be coming back. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, not really out of nowhere, but out of nowhere in my mind, the Big Ten is back. And they have a really, really, and what's really important is they have a really, really good place and plan to have the season go on safely and hopefully efficiently. Yeah, yeah, it's an exciting day. There's a lot of maybe more downer things to talk about, but we definitely wanted to take a few minutes to just celebrate the fact that Big Ten football is back. Ohio State football is back. That team up north football is back. Michigan State football is back. Wisconsin, Minnesota, Penn State. Um, if you're one of, if you're someone like us, who I know a lot of our listeners probably are in this area, you love Big Ten football. Doesn't matter if it's Illinois versus Northwestern, Indiana versus Purdue. It just doesn't matter. We love all Big Ten football. So, although there are some serious topics with this to get into, we just had to take this minute to play some Marshall Mathers, to play some Eminem, to celebrate the fact that the Big Ten is back and that we are at least going to see Ohio State play a couple games this year. This is a celebration. There is no other way around it. I mean, look, better heads prevail. And don't get it wrong. It wasn't politics that got football back. It wasn't President Trump. Apparently he had nothing to do with it. It was scientists showing doctorate presidents of universities that the season can be done safely and within reason while still protecting the student athletes. So this is a great day for not only just college football, but this is a great day of showing that we can go on and have some things in our lives while doing it just differently in a way to make it more safe in a COVID world. Yeah, it seems like a lot of things converged here. You know, there was rapid testing that has come out within the past couple, two or three weeks. And then we had the big announcement with the PAC 12 and the fact that they could get these rapid testing kind of stations within these programs and they could get tests back within 15 minutes and that's big and the big 10 plans to implement that in their plan um so that was big and i think just the fact that over this past two weeks these guys have had to sit down watch the nfl watch high school football go on in ohio watch the fact that college football has been going on the past two weeks and i think there was definitely a lot of the question of why can't we play why aren't we playing and i think that mixed with the fact that there's been a lot of outreach from the players, the coaches, the fans, and then the fact that, like you said, some scientific things have turned around. It all kind of just converged into this perfect moment where the Big Ten is now coming back on October 24th. Um, So it's really exciting. Yeah, it's very, very exciting. Um, And, of course, we're being very optimistic about what this season will look like uh, and how it entails. Obviously, there is so much more to go. And, of course, once we get to that October 24th start date, you know, we'll, we'll know a lot more and we'll 
and we'll also just know, you know, what's the what's the probability of a full season happening. And, you know, we may not even know that on October 24th. So there's still a lot to, I think, figure out and a lot to hope for. But obviously the opportunity to play and the plan to play is so important. Uh, and it was a great day to, to release that. Yeah, exciting news today. And um, it's fun to talk about the fact that they're coming back. It's fun to have the excitement. But there's only so many talking points that can come with excitement. There's only – yeah, I'm excited. Let's go. But after that, you kind of get a, get into the nitty gritty. You kind of have to talk it out, maybe get into some of the downer stuff. And we do have to do that. I have a few talking points here. And I think there definitely has to be some concern that in this COVID era, where we've already seen games canceled. We're seeing Houston, Memphis this week being canceled. We're seeing Army, BYU this week being canceled. That you're going to try to play a nine-game season in nine weeks. Yeah, it's uh, it's they gave themselves no room for error in it. It's a little confusing and a little frustrating considering the original plan was to have 16 weeks to play 10 games. Uh, and yes, you have better testing and better protocols in place, but you've completely shrunk your window when it comes to playing games. You not only give yourself, like you said, nine weeks to play a potential nine game schedule. And it's, it's almost impossible to think that this whole season is going to go off without a hitch, without any cancellations, without any suspensions. And don't get me. And also, don't. And also, another fact of this is, even if a game doesn't get canceled, if a specific player tests positive, is a 21-day quarantine. So you're talking about potentially a player like Justin Fields, or you know Wyatt Davis, or um, I'm trying to think of other players that other teams besides Ohio State. I guess Sean Clifford, um, uh, the quarterback at Penn State. You're talking about if any player tests positive, they're missing 33% of the season. I mean, that's crazy. And then of course, you know games could potentially be canceled if teams have outbreaks as well. So you're right. It is while we are excited about this news, it comes with a lot of air air of concern in the sense that like, you know, wow, the only this works, but only if everything goes perfectly and it's not going to go perfectly. Yeah. I think um, we kind of just have to, to dig into it and get into it. The fact that there is these nine games in nine weeks. And I think we can say with maybe 80, 90% positivity, rate that there's absolutely no chance that this happens that every single hundred percent of the teams get through nine games in nine weeks, which I think to me brings up the big question, say Ohio state has a couple games canceled and they go six and oh, seven and oh, and they're up against a nine and one, nine and two Florida who lost an sec championship game an Oklahoma team who won the championship game, but lost a game or two, something like that. It could be a very interesting conversation for who gets into the playoff on December 20th. Yeah, when you're looking at a big picture, and especially in terms of the college football playoff, you know, you're right. If you miss even just two games, you're down to seven. And what if one of those games is the quote-unquote Big Ten championship game? And, and, you know, what if the Big Ten doesn't declare an outright champion? You know, it could get very, very tricky. It could get very confusing. And I think, you know, I, I listened to uh, some interviews today, and the one thing that I heard that was a little encouraging was Joel Klatt talked to a couple people on the cultural playoff committee kind of about those scenarios. And he said, look, he goes, the cultural, play, cultural playoff committee's goal is to get the four best teams, the four teams that the committee believes are the four best teams in the country. There is no requirement of you have to play a certain number of games. You have to be bowl eligible. It's just getting the four best teams. And so when you look at it in that sense, that's great. But then you're right. It's become so hard to determine, you know, who are the best four teams, especially with no out-of-conference games, and especially if a team's only playing six or seven games. You know, what if all those six or seven games are blowouts, you know? It's just super hard to gauge, you know, a team without a full schedule. So 
the Big Ten obviously have disserviced themselves in the sense that, you know, uh, they've given themselves less games in general and also less time to play those games as well. And so it does. It, it'll be very interesting to see how the committee treats a 6-0 and Ohio State team if they were to only play six games versus a 9-1 and Georgia team who's the runner-up in the SEC championship game. Yeah, it's going to be interesting how that works. And I think it does beg the question, something that has been talked about today, and it's somewhat of a possibility, is do you think the college football playoffs should postpone their decision to either December 27th or January 2nd? I, I, don't, I don't see why not. I mean, you're looking at, a, obviously, a situation where, look, this year nothing is going to be normal. So it's okay to push dates back and to readjust situations when you have new information. And so, look, it is advantageous to the college football playoff, to ESPN, to have a team from the Big Ten in, whether it be Ohio State, or at least to give those teams an opportunity to get in because it makes for, obviously, a better championship playoff it makes for obviously better viewing experience. And, and don't get me wrong, Ohio State has the best, probably the best fan base in the country. So it's it's important for, I believe, the cultural playoff to give the Big Ten as much time possible to play as many games as they can and to give those teams full consideration. And look, you've pushed it back once. You now have new information. And look, it's not like Ohio State and the Big Ten is asking the cultural player to push it back to February, March, or a spring schedule. It's just one or two more weeks to give them time to play games. And then look, the the, the playoff and semifinal games aren't going to even happen until January anyway. So what what's the harm in, in waiting to delay who those teams are? Yeah, I think I agree with your logic. But in my opinion, I have a feeling – I just have a good feeling that the college football playoff is kind of going to wave a middle finger at the Big Ten. They're kind of going to say, you're the per- you're the only people who put yourselves in this position, so we don't feel bad for you. And I just have a feeling they're going to go about it that way. One, because I just think that they're going to be a bit salty about everything that's happened and the way the Big Ten has kind of shot themselves in the foot. But I also think that this year you're talking about the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl are being played on January 1st, and I don't think they're going to want to give up that January 1st date. So they could push it back still a week to December 26th or 27th, and that gives you – but I don't think they want to announce uh, the playoff games only six, seven days before they happen. So I think there's a really good chance they keep it on December 20th, especially because they want that January 1st day with the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl as the semifinal matchups. But like you said, I agree with you. I think this is an odd year, and we just have to accept the fact that it's an odd year, and we just have to kind of – have a fluid situation and just, you know, take the information we have and go with it from there. And like you said, I think it's advantageous for them to try to get a big 10 team in because we've seen the ratings when there is not a big 10 team in the playoff. They're always down because you have such a huge rate, such a huge region that likes the big 10 that pays attention to the big 10, the Midwest, the Northeast, just the East in general, a bit of, you know, the Northwest part of the United States too. So it's a big region that likes the big 10 likes to watch the big 10. So I think they would they would be smart to push it back a week or two. Yeah, I think they definitely would be smart. And I think there's maybe some Ohio State fans that are worried kind of in the situations that – or kind of in a scenario that you suggested where the college football playoff just gives a middle finger to the Big Ten and even says, look, you only played six or seven games. You know, that's not enough or you didn't have a high quality of schedule, whatever term they want to use, and they leave out a Big Ten team. And they may do that, but I think they're only hurting their own credibility if they do so. And look – the Big Ten is probably one of the biggest markets in the in the culture world, besides possibly the SEC. Has a lot of good talent, a lot of good traditional programs, and college football media when it comes to Fox and ESPN follow the Big Ten. And so I don't think 
hockey and the cultural playoffs interest to just completely dismiss them and not bring them a part of the consideration because I truly think that analysts from ESPN and also just political figureheads in college football would really look down on a committee that would do something like that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think uh, one thing you touched on a couple minutes ago is the fact that it was Joe Klatt interviewing some of the people on the playoff committee and they were talking about eye tests will still be one of the most important things. And funny enough, I want to say eye test has kind of bitten Ohio State in the ass a couple of times during this playoff era. And there's a good chance this year, obviously we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves if this scenario does happen where there's a 7-0 and Ohio State against maybe a 10-2 and or 9-2 and or 9-1 and team. They may get in over that team because of the eye test. So there's a chance it could come back in their favor this year. Yeah, I think um, I think the teams or Ohio State or the Big Ten, excuse me, who have been playing nine conference games and scheduling a tough out of conference opponent this year might get the benefit of what Clemson and Alabama and who play eight conference games and usually a, a Citadel thrown in there. Uh, I think maybe Ohio State would have the quote unquote weaker or less developed schedule this year. And so it almost kind of be like a little taste of their own medicine. If you're the ACC and the SEC teams, you're going to get through, put through a tougher gauntlet, but a team like Ohio State who plays a quote unquote easier schedule, you know, might get in just because of the quote unquote eye test. For sure. I think one thing that is important to note here is the fact that there is this 5% positivity threshold that if it is met within a team, that team has to shut down for at least seven days. So that's going to be at least, well, not at least it should just be one game. If you do meet that. And like we said, there's nine games in nine weeks here and, 5% is not a lot. That's four or five players on an 80 to 90 to 100 man team roster. But it is also important to note the fact that unlike what we've seen the past couple of weeks where you have 30 guys out, some of those cases were only because there was one or two guys that had coronavirus. And then there was 20, 30 other odd people who had come in contact with those people. So there was contact tracing. So they had to sit out. This is going to be different. There's not going to be any contact tracing with the big 10 because of the fact they have the rapid testing. So they can get these results back in 15 minutes. So if you're good to go on a Saturday morning, you're good to go, then you're good to go. It doesn't matter if you came in contact with someone who had coronavirus because you have these rapid testing. So although it's a low threshold, I think because they're not going to count contact tracing in this, it's a threshold that can they can maintain under. Yeah, that's a really, really, really great point. One that I haven't even thought of. And so you're right. It's definitely different scenarios. And, and the ability to have rapid testing gives the Big Ten such an advantage to hopefully try and push these games through or, or continue to be eligible for these games. And so I think that's something that's really important because you're right. I mean, if you look at someone, literally me, you know, I was in contact with a person who tested positive, but I got a rapid test. I quarantined from him when got a rapid test. And then after the rapid test, hadn't been in contact with him again. I My test came back negative. So if you look at just that scenario, if, you know, if I was a player in the ACC or these other conferences, I probably couldn't play for seven days. Whereas because, you know, if I were in the Big Ten, you know, I, the way I went about it was kind of like a player in the Big Ten would where I so once I found out he tested positive, I social distanced from him, got my own rapid test and that came back negative, And then I was good to go. Just obviously had to continue to stay away from him. So I think that's a really great way of putting it and a great way of, you know, saying just because you're in contact with someone, you know, or you had contact tracing doesn't mean you necessarily have it. Finally, let's touch a little bit on the fact that I, I feel like with all the celebrations and stuff, um, we have to still hold the Big Ten accountable for this complete shit show that was over the past couple months. I mean, heck, if the Big Ten would have just not overdid it and would have announced something a month and a half ago or whatever it was like they did, if they just would have waited off a couple of weeks, they would have realized that things are getting better with coronavirus. They would have realized the rapid testing stuff was co coming out. 
And they probably could have started their season on September 26th or maybe even this weekend around these time as the SEC. They would have had four or five flex weeks. They wouldn't have to worry about revamping up with training camp and everything like that. So it was just a complete shit show from top to bottom. They basically announced the schedule, let the guys start doing training camp, and then four days later announced that they were going to scrap the season. And then there's all these protests, all this stuff. I mean, heck, the last two weeks we've been thinking, all right, they're going to vote today. All right, they're going to vote today. All right, they're going to vote today. And they just never voted. And it's just been horrible. And they finally done it. And even today, I mean, why not announce October 17th? These picked in coaches have repeatedly been saying all they need is a month to get ready. Um, last time you, you announced it on August like 5th that you're going to start the season on September 3rd. So why not this time just announce it a month in advance on October 17th? So even that is kind of just one of those minor things that bugs me because that would have still been one flex week, which could be huge. So I just think it's been a shit show from top to bottom, from start to finish. And although the final product is finally college football and we're happy about it, it just could have been so much better. Go off, King. Let him know. <laughs> no, I, I do completely agree with you. Look, just because we got the end result we wanted doesn't mean we shouldn't ignore what was a pretty trash show of a process in the terms of, you know, you made you made so many great points, you know. The, the cancellation on August 5th, right out, or the schedule, I think, releasing on August 5th, or and then I can't remember the dates exactly, but the point is, is that releasing a schedule, then doing a full cancellation, even just four days later, and then don't get, I mean, don't get it twisted. We are four or five weeks removed from Kevin Warren saying that the conference fall had been shut down and the it wasn't going to be revisited. We are a month away from him saying we were we're a month in the future from him saying that this topic won't even be revisited and so it's clear that they initially probably had no idea what they were doing they made a rash decision in canceling you know they probably thought that they were doing the right thing without all of the information and then of course when no one around them in the other power five conferences bowed down to what the big 10 was doing and followed suit you know they probably they eventually realized you know, shit, we might've gone wrong somewhere. And so it really wasn't handled well. I think they came to a rash decision and then this is maybe covering their backs. But I will say, I will say the one thing that I think was really important was rapid testing and the ability to get results back within 15 minutes. I truly think that the big 10 didn't, they didn't know they had it a month ago and they didn't believe they were going to have it a month ago. And now that they do, I can understand how that changes it but it still doesn't make up for what was a rash decision. And then don't get me wrong. I mean, you had coaches, you had, you had lawsuits first off in Nebraska, but then you had a coach in Ryan day who said, look, we understand that this is bigger than football and player safety. And we're not complaining about the decision, but we're complaining about the lack of communication and transparency that went into the process. And then of course the fallout after the process. And I think that's where a lot of fans and a lot of coaches, a lot of players and a lot of parents of players have really found a lot of frustration. So yes, we got the result we wanted, but let's not just excuse the Big Ten completely. Let's say, hey, you still went about it the wrong way. Well, the Big Ten will be back with some football here in a month or so, but we do have more college football this upcoming weekend, which leads us right into our week three locks. All right. All right, JT, get us started. How many do you have? I only have three. Yeah, I only have three as well, and I have to put a disclaimer out there. This has been tough. Group of five football is not my forte. I really excel, and so I was. So I am two and four, I believe, on the season. I might be two and five. So I'm really struggling. 
Uh, and this is another week where I just want to go two and one. I just want to get two out of these three and get myself back on pretty level terms going into hopefully some power five football. But I'm going to start it out with Georgia Tech plus seven and a half at home against UCF. And look, this is a UCF program that has slightly gotten worse year after year since Scott Frost left. They're going to be good this year, but they're playing their first game of the season and they're traveling to Georgia Tech team, a Georgia Tech team that is riding high off a big comeback victory, has played a live football game against a really tough opponent, and now has a bunch of confidence after their win. I really like, and I get a full touchdown and a half against Georgia Tech. So I totally think that Georgia Tech can keep this game close, keep it within a touchdown. I even wouldn't be, I'm flirting with the idea of just personally throwing down some money on a money line on them. But seven and a half points is a very comfortable cushion. They get a full touchdown to work with. They're a team that's played a game, played in a tough game, and then came out with a big victory playing against the UCF team that I think is still trending down and hasn't played a football game this season. Uh, I think the odds are with me going with Georgia Tech plus seven and a half. I think this will be our one lock agreement for the week. I also have Georgia Tech plus seven and a half and I will say this kind of feels like a very public bet. This feels like a very against Vegas bet. Kind of feels like a Vegas knows something line with UCF, but I just I just can't not take this line after what I saw against Florida State. Um, after the fact, like you said, Georgia Tech has played a game UCF hasn't. I want to say Georgia Tech is at home. I know that doesn't mean a lot, but it still means something. They get a touchdown and a half. I mean, they're a power five school. I think the talent on the field is going to be pretty similar. And I feel really good about the fact they played a game. I feel good about the fact that even if they lose this game, I think they can win it. I, I would probably even favor them to win it. But even if they lose this game, I think it's going to be a close one because they play some pretty hard nose, sloppy kind of kind of football. We saw that last week with a 16 to 13 score line. I think this will be kind of a similar weekend. I'm not going to take the under, but I would recommend taking the under. I want to say it's 60 something. So yeah. I don't think it's going to get that high. But yeah, I mean, Georgia Tech plus seven and a half. I really like it. What I will say is, I could understand being on the other side of this if Georgia Tech didn't come out last week and show that they actually have a good QB. I really like Jeff Sims. I like what I saw from him last week against Florida State. Also like Jeff Collins, their coach. So you give me a good QB, you give me a good coach in this COVID time. They've got a game under their belt. They've got seven and a half points. They're at home. I'm taking Georgia Tech all day long. All right. I like it. And so that gets us to lock number two. Jay Will, why don't you get us started this time? All right. This is another one I'm taking that. I don't know. I've seen a lot of the people I've read a lot of articles and all the sharps, all the experts are on the other side of what I'm taking here, but I just feel good about it. I'm taking Duke minus five and a half versus Boston college. Uh, similar reasons here. Duke has played a game. They've played one more game. I know they lost it, but they hung in tough against Notre Dame. They were only three points back in this game with maybe what, 10 minutes or so left in this game, maybe even less time than that. They hung around with Notre Dame. They looked good doing it. Um, and I think I was encouraged once again by the fact that they actually have a QB, Chase Bryce, who transferred in from Clemson. I thought that he was kind of going to be a bust. And from what I saw last week, I thought he looked pretty good. So I feel good about Duke um, beating Boston College, who hasn't played a game, who has new QBs coming in, who has Jeff Halfley, who I like, but he's still a new coach in this COVID era. So Duke has a game under their belt. They have um, a good QB, a good solid QB. They have David Cutcliffe, their coach, who's been there a couple of years. He's a solid foundation. They have a solid foundation, solid culture. I just need them to win by about a touchdown here. So I'm going to pick Duke at home to cover five and a half versus Boston College. 
All right, I like it. I am actually sticking with that same game, but it's not a lock fight. I'm going with the under in that game. The over-under is 52. That's seven touchdowns and a field goal for quick math. Uh, I don't think these teams combined to score seven touchdowns. A lot of it is my lack of confidence in Boston College to score. First game, you know, and what have we seen in first games? We've seen offenses struggle. You know, I think Duke will be okay scoring points, but Duke is not going to want to be be in a game where they're trying to score 30, 40 points. They're going to want to keep it low scoring. You know, they're going to want, you know, to try to control the game. And I think Boston College is really going to struggle. And if they do excel in this game, It'll be because Jeff Halfley, who's a defensive coach, has the defense ready. So I think this game is priming up really well to be a low-scoring game, a tough-fought game, and I get seven whole touchdowns to work with. I don't definitely don't think these teams combined to score seven touchdowns and a field goal. Uh, I feel good about Duke and Boston College going under 52. All right, give us your final lock. All right, this might be our lock fight, though. I am a believer in De'Ara King. You know, I I will say this. I had a mantra for two years or a motto for two years, and that was to not bet games that Miami of Florida is playing in because they're a super volatile team. But I like what I saw last week. I thought they took care of business in a game against UAB. I love De'Eric King. I don't think that Louisville is as good as everyone thinks they are. And I'm not only not – I'm not going to take them plus two and a half. Give me – the money line to win outright at plus 117 two and a half points is i mean even if they lose by field goal uh yeah even yeah if they lose by field goal they don't cover so i mean you're really not getting that many points so why not just take them outright on the money line to win give yourself a few extra dollars if they do so and i think they do in this game you know they have to travel on the road but no crowd i think dear king is a difference maker and I think that Manny Diaz is slowly getting this program in the right direction. So I like Miami of Florida plus 117 on the money line. Man, I had a lot of feelings about this game. I like Louisville. I like Scott Satterfield. Um, I really like Mikhail Cunningham, their quarterback who came in, and he had a really good performance last week when they played Western Kentucky. They won that game pretty comfortably, which was was encouraging, but – Miami, Florida also beat UAB, a team I like very comfortably. I like Manny Diaz. Yeah, he had a rough first year, but I really like D.R. King. I think the thing that swayed me away from taking Louisville minus two and a half was the fact that Miami beat Louisville last year by 25 points. I just can't get over that in my head. As much as I believe in Louisville, as much as I think they'll find a way to grind out this game and maybe win it, um, I, one, think I'm surprised by the fact that Louisville is even favored in this game, so that kind of tips me away from it. I know they're at home, but I'm surprised about that. And I'm just, I really like Derek King. So I struggle to take the other side of Derek King, even though I like Mikhail Cunningham. So actually after I saw they won by 25 last year, I almost convinced myself into taking Miami. And then I almost convinced myself into taking the over. But after everything, I've just decided, you know what? This is the best game in college football that we're going to have through three weeks. So I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it. I don't want to stress about any lines, about any over-unders. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy this Louisville-Miami game. So what I am going to take is Syracuse plus 21.5 versus Pitt. Okay. I'm just keeping it simple. This I'm keeping Power 5. Well, I guess UCF is not a Power 5 team, but you know what I mean. I'm keeping it Power 5 versus Power 5. I'm keeping it three teams. I'm keeping it simple this week. I'm keeping it with games I feel like I know about, games I feel good about. I have a lot of other locks I wanted to take, but I'm trying a new strategy out this week. I'm just going to keep three locks, keep it simple. And look, man, Syracuse was – down 10-6 going into the fourth quarter last week against North Carolina. They actually, 
Pittsburgh has a game under their belt, but I want to say they played an FCS team. So Syracuse has a game under their belt against a top 25 team. They're playing another top 25 team. I think that really helps them. This is going to be a low-scoring game. The over/under on this game is 50, and you're, it's Pittsburgh, man. You're giving Pittsburgh 20. You're giving me 21 and a half points against Pittsburgh. I just can't, in my right mind, not take Syracuse plus 21 and a half. As much as I don't really believe in them, if you're going to give me 21 and a half points to work with, and you're talking about Pittsburgh, a kind of sloppy, grinded out, hard-nosed football team, I just have to take Syracuse, especially after the good defensive performance they put up in the first three quarters last week against North Carolina. You've almost convinced me with that, uh, with that, with that speech on why you believe in Syracuse <laughs> one and a half. I'll stick with my three bets though. I like my three. You have your three. I think we're getting back to stuff. We feel like we have more conviction on keeping it simple, keeping it power five football and UCF is pseudo power five anyway. So you know, I really like with I really like where we are and with both of our games, and we got a lock unity as well. Yeah, yeah, I for sure feel very good about my about our picks. Um, look out, folks! It's a six and zero weekend. I think I feel like this is a six and zero weekend, and we need it. We have to get back on track. All right, thanks to everyone for listening. Um, I I would assume we'll be back on Monday. Uh, what do you think, JT? You want to put this episode out now since it's an emergency pod? I think you put it out now. Exactly. Yeah, I think with the emergency label, um, obviously we did our locks like we love to do, but we had a good 15, 20 minutes on the Big Ten. So we got to put it out now. Thanks to everyone for listening. We will be back Monday to review all the games, which I'm excited for. We got some some big kind of big games this weekend. I know. We're finally getting into the swing of college football. And this is our final uh, pre-SEC week um, in, in college football. And so obviously it's the 26th. You know, it really gets going. We'll be back Monday morning at 6 a.m. He's JT Hershowski. I'm Jacob Wilson. That was Two Guys, One Mike.